Exodus 21 through 11. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to come to you now and pause, stop, um, be still. Know that you are Lord, that you are Lord over all, that you are Lord, our Lord, and that you are Lord of the Sabbath. God, would you meet with us tonight for the purpose of um, making your presence known among us, that we may rest in you, that we may bless you, that we would worship you, that God, we would glory in you and in your presence. And that, God, you would teach us, what does it mean to stop? What does it mean to rest? And what should that look like in our lives, practically speaking, to rest in God? So, God, would you teach us from your word tonight of, of what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? Knowing what it says in the Old Testament and seeing what it means in the New Testament for new covenant believers, that we are, that we would stop and see you in all your glory and what you would have to say about our rhythms of work and rest. God, would you be honored and glorified through our sitting under your teaching tonight as we also sing songs of praise to worship you for who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. God, be with us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 tonight and look very specifically about what, does, what role does the Sabbath play in the Christian's life. And as you're turning, I, I just want to kind of broad stroke look at how we've gone through this series, this topical series. I'm not working expositionally through a book of the Bible. We're really taking what does the Bible say about work and rest to, to benefit our souls. These are heavily applicational sermons. And I trust that I have shown you from Scripture how you as an individual can add value to your work. And so for our purposes here tonight, I want to finish up our series on focusing how can you make rest a vital part of your life so that you thrive spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so tonight, I want to esteem to you the practice of a personal Sabbath and where we can kind of get that from Scripture. So hopefully you turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 23 through 28. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. 
God's word says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathur, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Would you just bow your heads and briefly offer up a prayer to the Lord that he would teach you concerning rest in your life and what that should look like for you specifically? Would you just offer up a prayer to him right now? Lord, we desperately need to rest and learn to rest. So God, I pray that you would answer these prayers from your saints tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those last two verses are the main two I want to draw from for our purposes uh, together tonight. So let's look at those real quickly again, verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, the part of that statement that Jesus is making to the Pharisees, the part that they needed to hear was that man was not made for the Sabbath. Now, if you don't know, that's okay. The Sabbath was a day set aside for the the people of God, the Israelites, to Shabbat. That's a Hebrew word that literally means to stop. Stop from their work and honor God in their stopping by resting and worshiping him. Now, the Pharisees were the religious officials of their day, and they heaped so many rules upon the people for the sake of this special day at the end of the week. And to give you an idea of how meticulous they were about it, there were 39 different categories for the regulations of that day. Not 39 regulations, so many regulations that they had to categorize them into 39 different categories. That's a lot. And so it was a burden upon the people. And it was all for the sake of keeping the Sabbath day holy. They had made themselves the lords of the Sabbath. So with his statement, Jesus is basically telling them to lighten up and learn from his feet because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have Jesus on record calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And so one clear truth we can take away from this this passage tonight is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. 
Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath because he's Lord of all. Everything is under his sovereign rule. There's not one ounce of this universe that Jesus can, cannot look upon and say, mine. And so, yes, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. While the Sabbath may serve man, man serves God. So Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, rules over the Sabbath for the good of man in that service to God. As he aims to work and to keep, just as we looked together a couple weeks ago, where God commissioned Adam to work and to keep in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus claims the Sabbath for humanity from the grips of religious blockheads. And he does so by asserting his authority over the Sabbath. While his immediate audience is the Pharisees, right? We looked at how that second part of the statement is what they needed to hear. And the original audience for that were, was the Pharisees. But the question is, how do we, the modern audience, the modern reader, look on this passage and what do we glean from it? Well, I think we need to be reminded of an underlying truth in this passage. And that is that Sabbath rest has a place in the kingdom of God. Sabbath rest has a place in the kingdom of God. The part of Jesus' statement that I want to draw your attention to is the simple truth that the Sabbath was made for man. The first part of the statement. We need to be reminded of that. But there are some other truths from the Bible that we must let inform us so that we can properly interpret and apply this simple truth properly. And so the first truth from the Bible that we have to understand in, in, in a way that we can truly interpret this truth is that the Sabbath is no longer commanded. The Sabbath is no longer commanded. We read in our scripture reading the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. It is the longest of the ten because of the commentary that's tacked on to the end of it. The covenant God struck with the Israelite people through Moses was that they would remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because they were to be a distinct people devoted to Yahweh the God of the Bible. I am who I am, the great I am. They were commanded by God to be well-rested people, having been rescued out of slavery. The problem was they lacked faith to rest. And they continued to work and accumulate and worry instead of resting, trusting, and worshiping God. That's what they were to be a people about. And where the former people of God failed, Jesus fulfilled. Where the old covenant people of God failed, Jesus fulfilled. 
Jesus Christ is now and forever the fulfillment of the old covenant. The commands given throughout the old covenant are rendered void unless they are repeated and expounded upon in the new covenant, the New Testament. So that begs the question, what does the new covenant say about the Sabbath? Well, I'm glad you asked. We saw first week Jesus' invitation to come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Do you remember that? Matthew 11, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's a beautiful invitation, and it's the rest that Jesus welcomes us into, and yet he does not talk about Sabbath at all in that passage, does he? In fact, as God's new covenant people are established, it's hard to find any Sabbath command reiterated in the New Testament. We just don't see it. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 6, kind of informs us a little bit. It says, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What is Paul saying here in Romans chapter 14? Well, he's telling us it's it's kind of a matter of conscience. What does the God-given conscience tell you? knowing that that's one thing for you and, and somebody's else, somebody else's conscience is going to be a little different. And that's okay. To God be the glory if you do what's right in your own mind, if it's a conscience matter, which that's what Paul seems to be insinuating there. All right, but he goes on. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, which does mention the Sabbath. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, Paul, what does that mean? Well, he's saying that it's a a foreshadow, that the Sabbath of the old covenant was a foreshadow of the rest we have in Jesus. And that's confirmed by the author of Hebrews, as we heard from Mark Smith a couple weeks ago, talk about true rest for the people of God. We saw him as he expounded the text from Hebrews 3 and 4, as it uses the Sabbath as an illustration. Right? The author of Hebrews delivers an extended discussion on the theme of rest and Sabbath, arguing that Jesus Christ provides salvation rest that is typified by the Sabbath. So with all this in mind, we can unflinchingly state that the Sabbath is no longer commanded of us. And we feel a freedom of that that the old covenant people just cannot experience, could not experience. Because we're new covenant believers, relying on the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. But... Even though the Sabbath is no longer commanded, the Sabbath rest is still needed. Sabbath rest is still needed. We as Christians still find ourselves exhausted. Both work and rest were initiated in the garden and continue even after the fall. 
David Murray, in his book, Rest, says this. God designed a pattern of six days of work and one day of rest for a perfect people and a perfect world. How much more do we need it now in such, a, in such fallen bodies, in such a fallen world? This is a divine gift for our good. Rest is still needed because we as human beings in our human condition, we, we live chronically unsatisfied with chronically unsatisfied desires, insatiable desires. Uh, Augustine has a famous quote on this. You have made us for yourself. Talking to God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Dallas Willard put it this way, desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for infinite remains. But it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. What, uh, what Augustine and Willard are communicating are the dangers of our desires. And the way we heed their warning is to stop Shabbat and be satisfied in the Lord. In other words, we, we need Sabbath rest because we need God. Do you see that? We are a people who know God and we love God. We just don't know how to be with God anymore. We don't know how to enjoy God. Is that not your experience? What's really funny to me, is that God commanded his people to take a day off. It's like your boss telling you, go take a vacation. He's telling them to take a day and rest in what he had done for them by saving them out of slavery. But now that we know it isn't commanded, we punt on our prize of getting to be with him. It's not that we have to take a day off. We get to take a day off and be with God. And here he has given us a gift at the end of the work week to slow down and to just be with him and, and be satisfied in him. And we cast it aside as our hearts keep chasing after things that are less valuable and less satisfying. So some sort of Sabbath should be practiced. Some sort of Sabbath should be practiced. I'm being as charitable as I possibly can with wording it that way and giving you this principle that I think we do find in Scripture. I'm, I'm trying my best to be as charitable as I can because I know that this is a matter that's up for debate. It, it is debated as to what the relevance of a Sabbath is to the Christian. 
I'll just go ahead and tell you where we don't land. We're, we're not Sabbatarians who still hold to a strict observance of the Sabbath. That's just not where we are. At the same time, we are not uh, inevitable. We need to come to terms with the inevitable burnout that awaits us if we continue to chase our desires without ceasing. Right? So those are the two ends of the spectrum. And what I'm, what I'm submitting to you is that we need to fall somewhere in the middle that prizes the principle of a personal Sabbath. We would be wise to see the need for a Sabbath as an endearing, endearing principle for the good of our own soul. Walter Brugeman says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. So hear me when I say this is, this is a culture change. It's not just you take one day, but you take the day for the sake of the other days. Uh, I, I told somebody before I was getting up here that I was preaching how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he says, oh, I thought you were, I thought you were teaching on re- uh, work. I was like, well, yes, yes, they're, they go together, right? That's why it's a topical series on work and rest. It's because, man, we need to focus on our rest if we want to work well. And at the end of a work week, we need to look forward to probably the best day of our week, and that's spending an elongated time with the Lord. And what was the purpose of the Sabbath command to the people of Israel? It's that they would be a distinct people. So think about today, right? Think about what we talked about last week with, I know you're busy. We live in a busy world, a rushing society. And for us to slow down and take a whole day off, that's pretty distinct. We're going to stand out to the the glory of God. Practicing a Sabbath today would definitely be recognizably different. Chick-fil-A has proven it at the corporate level. What would it look like for you to start practicing it? I bet your work would probably start looking a lot different. Back in the garden, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Uh, He blesses three things in the Genesis story. Uh, He blesses the animal kingdom, which he then tells to be fruitful and multiply. He blesses humanity to whom he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses the Sabbath, a day. Now, I don't know how you tell a day to be fruitful and multiply, but if, if he could, he would have, I think. Because all these things, what we see, and, and John Mark Comer uh, mentions this in his book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which again, I'll esteem to you. He deduces from this pattern that the Sabbath was, has a life-giving capacity to procreate, as oddly as that sounds, to fill the world up with more life. The Sabbath is how we fill our souls back up with life. We all arrive at a Sabbath one way or another, either voluntarily or involuntarily, either by choice or chosen for us, forced upon us, either as delight or as discipline. Uh, Wayne Muller notes this. 
If we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. Now, he's not saying that illness is a punishment if you don't Sabbath, so don't hear that the wrong way. He's saying illness is the necessary consequence of not taking care of your holistic health. We know that the body and the soul are directly tied to one another. If you don't take care of your soul, your body will share in its fate. For most of us in this room, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of your life. And we find our eternal rest in him without a doubt. But is he Lord of your Sabbath? That's the question I submit to you. Is Jesus the Lord of your Sabbath? Are you finding rest in what he has for you right now? Are you taking time to stop Shabbat and be satisfied in what he has done for you and in you? So if your answer is no, I want to give you a few ideas for your personal Sabbath. As you aim to practice a personal Sabbath or anything close to it, I want to give you a few ideas to help you get started. The first is rethink your day off. Rethink your day off. On a normal day off, you don't work for your employer, in theory, right? But you still work. You run errands, catch up around the house or the apartment, pay bills, make an Ikea run, get the oil changed, etc. That is a day off. That is not a Sabbath. On a Sabbath, we rest and worship. So the question to get you started is what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with deep joy? What can I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with deep joy and list it? When we practice a personal Sabbath, we enter into a day of delight It should easily be the best day of our lives. You choose for yourself to put your phone away or your computer away or on Do Not Disturb. You light a candle, you play some soft music, play some worship music, or play no music at all. And feast, play, dance, sing, pray, laugh, read, journal, walk, paint, watch creation, and just Be satisfied. Rethink your day off so that it becomes your personal Sabbath. Second, resist the pull toward work. Resist the pull toward work. The Israelites were rescued from slavery. Just think about that for a moment. The great salvific moment in the Old Testament is God delivering his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, right? It is the the cross, burial, and resurrection of the Old Testament, right? What we prize here in the New Covenant, what we celebrate every Easter, 
the former people of God, the old covenant people of God, prized being rescued from slavery. Slaves don't get to practice Sabbath. Pharaoh and the Egyptians had selfish ambitions for more and for greater. And the people of God worked tirelessly to fulfill those ambitions. We currently live in a culture of more and better, greater. The American dream is a quest to satisfy the lusts of our flesh for more and for greater. And it is insatiable. More and better, food, drink, clothes, devices, apps, things, square footage, experiences, you name it, we collect it. If we let ourselves, we will work tirelessly to satisfy the desires of our heart or be bullied in our work to satisfy the ambitions of our employer and coworkers. Practicing personal Sabbath is where you stand your ground. Where you stand your ground, take a Sabbath, you're saying, enough. And not just enough, God's enough. Or as we sang, your grace is enough. You sang it tonight, do you believe it? Is his grace really enough? You're saying, I have enough. What I really need most is time to enjoy what I already have with God. So we close the laptop. We leave our work at work. Limit our work-related apps. Put the message thread on Do Not Disturb. Set an email auto-reply, all to the glory of God. Your contentment is a mighty witness in the workplace. But more than that, it pleases God. So be content. Resist the pull toward work. And then third, rest through recreation. Rest through recreation. Um, there is something truly restful for me about playing chess. I struck up the hobby back in January, and I'll tell you how it got started. I played uh, my girlfriend Anna's little brother, 15 years old, and he beat me at chess horribly, twice. And I said, all right, I'm going to... To my shame, pride is how I started this hobby. <laughs> Isn't it always? Yeah. My original goal was to play until I could beat him. And I, I beat him last month. I, oh, man, it was good. It was a good one, too. But I kept playing because I found rest in the, in the playing and the practicing and the learning. And, and with many guys in our ministry of just like, striking up matches on chess.com. Like I, I found rest in this hobby, in this form of recreation. I find rest by doing something simple and fun on my days off that take me, it takes me away from ministry. 
so that I'm, my head's not racing with what's going on in terms of my work. It helps me trust God with my time off. So maybe it's not chess for you, but what could it be? Uh, chess is one example that uh, Annie F. Downs in her book, That Sounds Fun, um, she mentions. Uh, she lists, lists off several things and gives examples uh, from her own life. Uh, she makes a list of would-be hobbies like cooking, gardening, singing, fishing, piano lessons, learning to dance, skydiving, scuba diving, hang gliding. It's no for me. I'm not doing that. Playing a band, improv, book club. Those are just a few that she lists. She says, by definition, hobbies are activities done regularly in one's leisure time for pleasure. I wonder when we quit doing things regularly for pleasure, for fun in our leisure time, she says. I want it back. I want to make a list of things I can do that bring me joy and bring God glory. An important reminder that Annie F. Downs gives is that hobbies aren't always going to be easy. Because fun isn't always easy. And I would just add to that, the, the same could be said for rest, for practicing Sabbath. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But that's why I use that word practice Sabbath. That you are, you are, it's going to take practice. I started taking Sabbath, a personal Sabbath, back in July. And I, I can tell you, I have failed miserably some weeks where I just don't, I'm not intentional enough. And what I'm, lear I'm learning in the midst of that process I'm experimenting to see what brings me joy in those Fridays I have off. But also I'm reflecting on what robs me from joy on my Sabbath. And it's all so I can glorify God in my rest and in turn glorify God in my work. Do you see the connection? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the, the main takeaway for you tonight and to conclude our series on work and rest is that the Sabbath is no longer commanded. We've seen that in Scripture. But Sabbath rest is still needed. So practice a personal Sabbath. Practice a personal Sabbath. And may Jesus Christ be the Lord over your Sabbath and give you rest. Amen? Amen.